This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. He was gone. He was off to the races. Just when you thought it was going to be a huge play, a big missed field goal return up the left. Talk about an explosive sudden change play. This place is deadly quiet right now. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, it's the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. I'm Greg Mackling. Winnipeg Blue Bombers go to Toronto, lose 29-28. But I don't think the number one, the point differential, or the number of points scored by either team is going to be the number people are remembering or talking about right now, Doug Brown. It'll be 39, the number of yards. Justin Medlock was away from kicking the winning field goal. And um, you're saying it's a good thing. That's irrelevant, though. You the know, Bombers they, didn't win. Well, they shouldn't. They didn't deserve to win, right? Yeah, they put themselves, I mean, it was a, a fantastic drive by the offense to close out the football game. Uh, great job when they get in that two-minute drill. I think they should do that. Sometimes they should just do that, start a drive if there's nine minutes left in the half. But the way they moved the football, uh, the way uh, Nichols is able to marshal that offense and and execute and and uh, move the sticks to uh, to put themselves in position to win the game, fantastic. But you look at the game as a whole, and you're just like, well, kind of glad they lost because you don't want the positive reinforcement. After a performance like that. You mean you're saying you don't want it to be okay to give up 572 (laughs) yards of offense? I don't want anyone patting themselves on the back when they're, you know, putting up performance along those lines. So uh, the offense uh, was not largely uh, responsible for for that lot, but they they still didn't play their best. They haven't played their best uh, since Flanders went down. We'll get into that in a bit, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. But defensively, what they did, they had no business even being in that football game, right? So uh, we're not for the the interception return and some timely scoring and and some problems that Toronto had. I mean, uh, this football team has no business really being in that game. So do you want them, you know, if it was critical and they just needed a win to get the you know, a playoff spot or something like that, then cool, steal one, right? That's what they call trying to steal a game right there. But, you know, they didn't particularly need that win. Well, they did for home field advantage. But when you play that way, you don't want you don't want a team to be rewarded, right? You don't want the guys to get the wrong message. Hey, no matter what we do defensively, you know, we still win games. So it's actually fitting that they didn't get the two points there because now you have to, you just address things differently when you lose versus when you win. Matt Nichols uh, speaking up this week and saying, you know, he's concerned about the offense. And in your article and in your column this week, you you talk about the Bombers abandoning their next man up system. Expand on that a little bit because you and I have spoken so much about how that two-headed monster out of the backfield has been really, and it's my opinion, I'm not going to speak for you, you can speak for yourself in a moment, but it's really been the difference for the Blue Bombers. It's given them so many looks, a, a non-traditional look, right, that CFL defense is and CFL defensive coordinators have not had to deal with in a long time. Yeah, you know, Next Man Up all started last season, really, when uh, you know they were 1-4, and four, they were having injury problems, and then they got on that streak, right? Then Nichols came in and Bond came in, and they started running the table. They started putting wins together. But guys were dropping like flies. People don't remember this. It was it was it was crazy. It was a carousel of of carnage, is what it was. Players were dropping, new guys were coming in, uh, and it that's what spawned next man up. It was like, holy smokes. And they just kept winning. No matter who was in there playing this spot, playing that spot, they just kept putting wins together. And uh, it was amazing, really. And that and was part of the resurgence. And, and it's what saved the season. And 
in 2016. And that carries over in a large part, you know, they've done the same, obviously they haven't had uh, anywhere near as, as uh, the extent of injuries as, as most teams have in the CFL, but they have four significant ones right now. And uh, it's always been next man up, next man up. And then Flanders got hurt and I was like, okay, let's change the offense. I was like, what? Whoa. I thought it was next man up time. You know, because you're doing this two-back thing. That only works but, yeah. if you have another tailback <laughs> yeah. to put in place of Timothy Flanders. And lo and behold, you don't. The, the Bombers forget to fill the vending machine? Or what did they do? What well, they got they a guy do? on the roster. I, I don't remember his name because he's never actually played a, a game of professional football yet. Okay, so um, it's, it's okay. That so there's a guy on the roster, name. but I was just like, hang on a second. Next man up. That that construct only works if someone gets hurt and someone else goes in. Not that you just, hey, let's add another receiver instead and and forget about this. And do you think it's coincidence that you look at the numbers that Andrew Harris has had with Timothy Flanders? You look at the numbers he's put up lately in the last two weeks without him, and his production is has been cut in half, essentially. If you look at at yardage totals, average per rush, average per reception, because guess what? Defenses are like, oh, hey, there's this one running back to worry about now, so let's take him out of the equation. And Andrew is the, he's the cog, the key that makes everything go for this offense too, right? And what gave him better quality touches and more space in that backfield playing against anybody was Timothy Flanders being another legitimate weapon that that they had to worry. When they split out of the backfield and one back's gone left and the other's gone right, you can't just put all your guys right after Andrew, right? You have to respect what's what's happening. And and he was able to give Andrew Harris rest, right? He was able to take some of the reps. They had a competition going and he could catch and he could run, not to the level that Andrew could, but did a very good job and he could fill in without missing a beat. And so I just didn't understand how they've been so successful inserting guys, but then when Flanders got hurt, oh, let's just go back to what we're doing before and let everybody just key on Harris, effectively take him out of the game and force the Bombers into a game plan that hasn't really worked for them. And not only are they going back to a traditional style offense, they're doing so without their best receiver. So it's double jeopardy, right? Because Adams is out of the lineup, so you don't have a deep threat. You have no way to keep the defense honest. And you had uh, previously you had two ways to keep them honest, going deep to Adams or to throw and or run the ball with Flanders. So now they are in a situation where they don't have a deep threat. And they don't have that misdirection. Talk about why that's so key in terms of, in a general sense, Doug, how defenses decide who they're going to key on and how they make their decisions. I know that a quarterback will read off either a halfback or a safety to make his decision based on who's not where, not where someone is necessarily. Talk about how you make a decision on defense, on on, on how you're going to cover a play. Well, you know, I think going in any game, uh, defensively, you can scheme to take one thing away is what you can do, okay? And so right now, uh, to simplify this, without Flanders in there, I think uh, opponents realize, hey, what's the one thing we want to, you know, well, Nichols has a, has a perfectly fine passing attack, but it's not what you would call excessively, you know, prolific or anything like that. They're not breaking records. They're not throwing for 6,000 yards. You know, they don't have a whole bunch of home run hitters. I mean, it's very good that Wesson Dressler's back and this Chris Givens guy looks very good, but none of them are Darvin Adams, right? 
the Bomber offense hasn't been predicated on being a, a pass. You know, they've had a, a percentage of run in there. They don't beat people with a high-flying, you know, greatest show on turf type performance, right? They're, they're very balanced. They're very dynamic. And I just think when you're a defense, every defense has the ability to approach a game, to watch, to strategize, to watch the film and say, hey, this is who or this is what we want to take away from them. If they're going to beat us, they're going to beat us this way. That's how every single week that I've been in with a coordinator and that's how they've explained our, their game plan to us. If they're going to beat us, it's not going to be this way kind of thing. And I think so the approach just goes, hey, let's just make sure Andrew Harris, You know, not only do they not want to be the defense that gives up the magic 1,000-1,000, okay, but they also know how he's an incredible cog and, uh, and part of the offense that everything else works off of, right? If he's not running, then you don't have play action, you know? And you don't have matchup problems if you're doubling him coming out of the backfield, so on and so forth. There's all these things you don't get if he's not being productive that help the rest of your offense out there. So it's uh, it's a no-brainer for opponents facing this this offense right now. And uh, they've been able to take him effectively away the last two weeks. And I don't have to point out to anyone that Matt Nichols isn't exactly Tracy Ham back there. He doesn't have a whole lot of mobility, right? So they don't even have that in their hip pocket that a lot of other teams might have when the, one of their uh, key cogs, either in the backfield or, or in the receiving core, goes down. So Harris's numbers are down. He is the focus on the defenses. Let's focus on the Blue Bomber defense because it seemed as though over the last four or five games, the defense was starting to come into its own. It had some outstanding games, outstanding halves where it shut down some of the most prolific offenses in the CFL. And then lo and behold, Ricky Ray just lights them up and they were uh, run upon as well. And that was the concern I I had with Maurice Leggett going out was that they weren't going to be able to pick their poison because stopping the run has not really been a strong suit all year and stopping the pass well when Leggett goes back into coverage at least they have a chance to make a big play well he's not there now yeah it's uh you're, you're running out of stuff to to grab at now right not good at stopping the run not really good at stopping the pass uh, not good at preventing points, you know, red zone diva. They're good at getting interceptions, you know, and they're good at winning the turnover battle and taking the football away. But these are some fundamental processes that are, are problematic. And you look at that game and you look at the number of times that Ricky Ray and the Toronto Argonauts went for it on third. And I'm not talking third in a yard or no, less than third, a yard. Three, third and five. I saw a third and five. I think I saw two third and fives. And it's in you. You look and you do your homework and you look at the stats and you're like, okay, well, you know, what do these guys give up on average per play? Well, they give up seven yards on average every time you run a play against them. I mean, that was a while ago. It was a couple of weeks ago. They were giving up seven yards on average per offensive play that's run against them. So you're like, oh, third and five. Well, we're probably going to average. You know, <laughs> the average says we're going to beat that on this. So. Uh, you know, it's just a scenario. We talked to Mike O'Shea after the game on the post-game show, and I asked him about that. And he thought, you know, obviously it's it's not a way that uh, your opponent is terribly respecting your defense. But he brought up it might have been a way also for Toronto 
to take out the special teams factor of the game being that you know what's Mike going to do on a, a field goal return or, or maybe a, a punt block uh, some special return or something they were going to have. That sounds like grasping at straws to well, me. Well, you know, it, it was a valid point is that that could be a strategy to sure. negate the impact of your special teams if okay. you're worried about playing a group that has somebody that's that's very acute at doing that or very sharp at that. So it was an interesting uh, a spin by him, but for the most part, we were just like, you know, they are quite frankly just daring this defense to line up against them. Third down, you get the ball back if you can hold us to five yards or fewer. And, you know, what a, what a wake-up call, hopefully, for this group, uh, that the realization that, hey, when opponents also see the success of how that worked, other teams going forward, be it BC, Calgary, teams in the playoffs, see the kind of, you know, that we were all up in the stands. We were like, wow, I cannot believe Toronto was rolling the dice like this. The stones of Ricky Ray and this off. And that's not even, does that seem like Trestman to you? No, it doesn't Overtly seem, no, aggressive no, guy like that? No. To just, uh, I don't think they saw it as much of a risk. And I think that's the bigger That's concern, the problem right? right there, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that... Uh, you know, if other teams copycat that or not, but not a great endorsement for your defense when uh, teams are risking losing possession. When teams are willing to, like the one time they did it and it backfired, I mean, they cost them three points minimum, right? They were obviously mm-hmm. trying to extend and uh, get a new set of downs and go for the major, but they were well within field goal range on that other third and three or whatever. The Bombers blitzed up the middle. Not only did they stop it, they, they got possession. They got another takeaway there. Um, but they were willing to risk automatic points, it seemed, because that's how confident they were on their third down capabilities. So let's throw this into the mix. The guy that is typically automatic for three points in these scenarios is struggling right now. He's missed six of his last 13 field goals. Since starting the season 10 for 10, he's about 72%. We're talking about Justin Medlock. How big of a concern is this? We talked about it after his 0 for 3 performance against Edmonton, a game they happened to win win so didn't seem as big a deal is this a big deal what Justin Medlock is going through right now yeah you know initially obviously the first time he struggled we were like whatever you know this guy has bailed out every phase of this football team so many times who cares like guy's gonna have a bad day he can't be perfect all the time he can't be you know Mr. Automatic all the time and uh but now it's you know now it's kind of one eyebrow it's kind of that rock thing right where you're kind of raising one eyebrow eyebrow. the people's eyebrow is going up if you smell what the rock is cooking now you're paying attention to it right like we honestly when we broadcast these games uh, that's when I start checking my Twitter feed oh Medlock's lining up for a field goal I don't even watch anymore now I'm gonna watch you know because we just knew before it was boring it was anticlimactic it was like yeah he's lining up to take a kick guess what the ball's going to go right down the middle of the uprights that absolutely holds zero appeal to me to watch as a football fan but now now I'm going to be paying attention to when he kicks and and side and even bob bob would say all the time he's like I don't even look at the kick he's like I would just look at medlock's uh uh body language right. and he would know right away, like the way he would just turn around and start walking off the field because he knew it went through kind of thing. But now we're going to be paying, you know, spotlight gets brighter, unfortunately. When you're a guy of, of that standing, of that much accomplishment, uh, who has had a career like he has, and you start to become a little more inconsistent and you start to miss some big kicks, 
Spotlight doesn't dim out. It gets brighter, right? You want to talk about more and more pressure. Now things are starting. You're getting closer to playoffs. Things are ramping up. Kicks are starting to mean more. So it's not like the pressure's coming off you now, right? So we'll all be paying attention. But, you know, I, I just don't think a guy gets to that level and has that kind of ability and isn't able to snap out of this funk. It's not like he was a Tiger Woods and he had 19 back surgeries or something like that, right? He hasn't really been hurt. I mean, as far as I know, you shouldn't be able to get hurt kicking football anyways, but he hasn't been hurt to this point, nothing we know of. So I'm thinking it's something he's that's correctable for him, and I don't think you get this far and perform this way throughout your career without knowing you know, how to address your scenario. We've all been through... Uh, moments where we've had bad games and to varying degrees. And, you know, for me, it was always go back to your fundamentals, Mm -hmm. you know, start cleaning these things up, work on the small things, work on the basics, don't overcomplicate anything. And then everything sorts itself out. So uh, you obviously put yourself through uh, a a straight, for me, it was always, okay, I got to go and work a little harder now next week too. I got to keep raising the bar here. If I'm going to have a slip or in my performance or something inconsistent is going to happen, we got to keep raising what I'm doing in terms of my preparation, whether that's being filmed, whether that's the physical part of it, whether it's conditioning, whatever it is, you got to keep amping it up if you're struggling in order to overcome that and and be able to play at a high level. So I have expectations uh, that he'll come out of this, but like I say, the the spotlight's certainly going to be burning brighter. Yeah, you know, you make an interesting point about it getting brighter and this when you're Mr. Automatic, that spotlight isn't necessarily that bright, even though you perform at a high level that's the expectation and when you deviate from the expectation higher or lower that's when the spotlight does grow brighter let's listen to bob's call of the kick because i heard no concern in bob's voice when medlock strutted out to uh, go and uh, kick the 39 yard game winning field goal it'll be a 39 yard field goal try into a slight win coach will put it down Ball on the right hash. We'll watch Medlock here. There's the snap. There's the ball down. There's the kick. And it is wide. Medlock has missed. The Argos kick it back out. And it'll go out of bounds at the 40 of the Argos. And time has expired. And the Argos are going to win it by one. Doug, you listen to that and you listen to Bob's voice. And uh, I, I don't think there was any question in Bob's mind that Justin Medlock was going to make that field goal. But let, let's let, let's go to the uh, football player uh, because, you know, my wife was, was, was furious for probably about 48 <laughs> hours about this. And so there are two minds of football fans. And one is that, you know what, this is a guy that that's why he gets paid yeah. and is the highest paid kicker in the CFL, one of the highest paid players on this team. That's his job, right, is to win games that you normally wouldn't otherwise win, to make all the field goals you expect him to make and to make some that you don't expect them to make. And the the other side is that, you know what, guys are going to miss every once in a while. But I look at it this way. 
when you're the kicker, you decided years and years ago that you wanted to be the guy with the game on your foot. You volunteered for this. You weren't drafted into it. You put up your hand. You said, I want to be the kicker. I might not be a quote-unquote real football player, but I want the football game on my back, on my shoulders, several times a season. How do you look at it from the sideline, and how are the guys on the bench looking at Justin Medlock today? Well, you know, if if the guys on the bench have any um, perspective or ability to to look outside of their own individual, however they played, and look at the bigger picture, uh, the first one that points a finger at Medlock, I'd be like, what position do you play? Like, you play on defense? You should not be pointing a finger at Medlock. And you play at offense? Look at the ground. <laughs> defense, you know, if I was Medlock and someone you know, pointed my finger at me from the defense, I'd be like, are, are you serious, man? Like, should, you know, you, that football team was so lucky to be in that position, to have that opportunity to win that football game off of his leg. And yeah, he didn't do his job that time, but even someone on offense, right? They could have played better. You look at their numbers, right? They weren't, look at how Toronto marched that football up and down the field. There were many occasions, especially late in that game, we talk about untimely two and outs by that offense, right? When they their team needed it. Yeah, they did great at the end with their two-minute drill to get them in position to win the game, but they could have really helped their defense out and numerous other times without getting these untimely two and outs in the fourth quarter when the defense needed a break, needed them to to at least put put some drives together, so on and so forth. For me, it doesn't matter what phase of the football team you're on. I really don't think you have ground to stand on and and wag your finger or point fingers at, at Medlock. Even with um, the struggles he's had this year, he's still done a ton. I mean, look at the records he set for this football team last year. There are probably players that wouldn't even be on this football team right now if he hadn't won games for them in 2016, right? So I think if you have any perspective and ability to step back and look at the big picture, yeah, Medlock is the least of this football team's concerns. And they were very fortunate to have been in that position to steal one, not win the game. I'm not going to say they would have beat Toronto. That would have been grand theft auto, my friend, with the person and a baby still in the car. That's the scale of larceny we would have seen if they'd come out on top of that game. And I would have been going, oh, no. You know, they think it's okay to play and and you can get away with you don't want that kind of positive reinforcement. You want to know you don't play well, you lose. Okay. You don't you steal one, you gotta have a real mature group in there to understand, hey, we gotta really get back and we this is not tolerable. We need to escalate and, and, and raise our level of play. So Justin Medlock, uh for all of you out there who have been panicking, uh this guy has brought the group group up over the last two seasons, and he deserves a a pass, and he's not likely to take advantage of that as we move forward. The the interesting thing is, too, is that, uh, you know, to think that a a player that is such a student of his craft, like Meglock, to think he's not coming down on himself hard enough right now, like, uh, obviously, he seemed to be very emotional in the the post-game, and that guy takes his job very seriously, and that's why he was so good for so long. And uh, it's inevitable at that position that that these things happen. But uh, I guarantee you there are probably guys on that football team that think they are playing or think that they are a lot better than they really are. But I I don't think anyone has to worry about whether Medlock is scrutinizing and is critical enough 
of what he's doing on the football. I think he understands, you know, uh, more so than most, his position on this football team, the expectations, the fact he's in a contract year, so on and so forth. You know, the guy is, uh, you know, if you're a good teammate, you care very much about when and you recognize very much when you let your teammates down. And I think he's got that base covered. Just my guess. I love the way uh, you're able to bring us inside the psyche of the players affected and the players around uh, that individual who may be uh, from the outside looking in, letting down the team. Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Doug Brown. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. And uh, we just want to thank everyone for tuning in to the podcast all season. We're not done, but we don't have any more tickets to give away. So no secret word for you this week. But we want to thank everyone who entered to win tickets throughout the season. And uh, if something happens, I can wrangle up some playoff tickets. Uh, We may re-engage you at 204-780-6868. But you're off the hook this week. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. Let's talk about playoff scenarios. I mentioned this in our last podcast, Doug, and you looked at me like I was a little goofy, and then I texted you just before kickoff on Saturday and pointed out the fact that the Blue Bombers, uh, of course, have their fate in terms of a home game in their own hands. They win this weekend against BC. Second place is theirs. First place is not in question anymore in spite of Saskatchewan's uh, victory over Calgary. First place is unattainable now for the Blue Bombers, but the idea of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders (laughs) coming here is alive and well, as the Edmonton Eskimos play the Calgary Stampeders, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have the Montreal Alouettes this weekend, and if things go to form in terms of the standings, Saskatchewan will win, as will Calgary, and now you got a scenario where these two teams are tied going into the final game of the season, and guess who plays one another? The Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Edmonton Eskimos. How do you see it sorting itself out? You know, it's interesting because Calgary... Uh Obviously not playing very well right now. Um, anyone that plays football knows uh, very, very hard to beat any team same season three times in a row. And Calgary's already beaten Edmonton twice this year. They have to make this a third time. So I, I think it is possible for Edmonton to beat Calgary right now because they're kind of reeling. They looked horrible against Saskatchewan. Uh, obviously, Saskatchewan is going to beat Montreal, which is uh, the clown show of of 2017. They surpassed Hamilton on the clown and, and show. And I really think, I, and I really think, obviously, I think Winnipeg is going to secure their home playoff game against BC. Uh, BC obviously played them pretty tough last time, but how hard is a team going to try if they get down early? You know, I, I just don't see that in that group. That they're, it's cool to be uh, a spoiler. You know, and but how hard are they going to work and what are they prepared to sacrifice on game day to be that? You know, we, we already heard we were hearing story after story from guys that on the BC team that were like, hey, football is not everything. We're like, yeah, well, that's evident. Your, your attitude. <laughs> we, we can tell from watching you play. Football certainly is not everything to you. There's other things going on in your life that, that are, you know, taking away from football even. So I just don't think, uh, you know. Like I said, BC uh, 
it's a little bit of a, a personal and a, a grudge match, and there have been some really tight games, but I just don't think that that football team's going to be motivated or if they get down early, I don't think they'll have the... So, so you think Edmonton can beat Calgary based yeah. on the way Calgary's playing. Saskatchewan will beat uh, Montreal. Neither one of us have any question about that. And then, so I guess if that plays itself out, we'll make that last game uh, between Edmonton and Saskatchewan a moot point. So maybe we'll save that discussion and see what happens and we'll save it for the next podcast. Yeah, all we know is that the road to the Grey Cup through the West... Goes through Calgary and, uh, like you said, Calgary does that, and Winnipeg. Does that, road, does that road look a little easier now? Yeah, based on how Calgary's but two, been you know, if, if Calgary rips off two thirty-point wins, their final two games, and or if the Bombers do, hint, hint, that would be, you know, you could still prevent that narrative from, hey, your team's going into the playoffs in a funk, right? You still, with two games remaining, you still have an opportunity. Get some momentum going. Get get your your players feeling good about themselves. You certainly don't want to go on a losing streak going into the playoffs. And I mean, it's let's be honest right now, first place and and second place, those two teams in the West right now are not playing their best football. They're having some challenges. They're struggling right now. So you know, big things need to happen in these remaining two games for their chances to be decent in in the upcoming playoff games. We'll leave it there then, Doug. We'll uh, reconvene. Uh, this same time next week and we'll be talking about the Blue Bombers heading to Calgary for the final regular season game of the year and we'll have a much better idea of whether or not the Winnipeg Blue Bombers will be playing at home or still playing for that possibility when next we convene on the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Doug, till next time, adios. See you, my friend. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.